Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Here we are, episode 120. Now we're starting. Oh. You get to clap. <laughs> we all clap. Everybody claps. Stories are soul food, episode 123. I'm glad we know what number it is. Yeah. My daughter told me, she's like, that joke isn't funny anymore. And I was like, it's not a joke. We just don't know what episode it is. That is just fact. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I knew before, but the pressure of the moment comes and you forget. You 123, Sass. 123, <clears throat> why on earth have we done this 123 times? Because mm, we're shooting for 365. Is this, is this the definition of insanity? <laughs> To keep doing the same thing over and over. Well, I just met earlier yet another fan. Shout out to Ruben. Uh, wanted a photo with me. Way to go. He didn't know where you were. <laughs> I didn't tell him. Sorry, so Ruben. He's not in makeup. He's not ready for a photo. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, Nate needs to have his tie on to, for photos. Always. <clears throat> Anyways, we're here. I hope you all enjoyed our live studio audiences. Because we didn't. <laughs> I liked them. Nate, no, no, it was fine. In it was fine. <laughs> I'm being crotchety on purpose. It's okay. It's 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 like the color commentator. Crotchety for humorous purposes only. Yeah, absolutely. And here we are discussing some. We're going to be crotchety in this episode as well because Perfect. because we're discussing Peter Jackson's <sighs> Lord of the Rings in more detail. Yeah, we'll probably talk about some other stuff too. But yeah, we've got some more questions. We've, we've heard from a lot of people about that little throwaway. We threw away. Yeah. Uh, a couple little insults about those films. Right. Uh, intelligent high schoolers asked us why we are not enthralled with Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And I responded with specifics. Nate responded with categorical condemnation. <laughs> I, if I remember, <laughs> I remember you saying that they would make Tolkien vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, that, that I have textual support for. Yeah. So. No, that's, that, the thing is, that's actually the case i don't think anybody could right dispute that even fans of the film yeah um the films right of can't really uh dispute that so let's talk about a couple things here one is uh are we just being pretentious yeah to a snobby is, objection yeah. yeah we is it's just a bunch of pretension do you and and every time we criticize them people come back and say hey that's just cuz they're not like the book doesn't mean they're bad right and so part 2 of that pretension is uh are we failing to judge movies as movies and books as books? Are we are we failing to go apples to apples? Yeah. And then number three is what's number three? Number three is are we immune to how cool Vigo is swinging that sword? Very much so. <laughs> Very much so immune. Thirteen year old me was not. <laughs> now I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, that part where he does the backhanded swing and chops the orc. I don't know. The orc high scene was pretty cool. Yeah. So. so so there, first, there's the there's the throw out. I gave first, everyone the carrot. Let's go a discussion of pretension. This actually goes to a lot of things because we've been accused of pretension about a lot of things. Yeah, mostly Nate has been <laughs> accused of pretension. <laughs> I've only noticed it uh, a few times, but I've I've been told in person, um, and I've heard, heard there's a, a fair amount of accusations about the Lord of the Rings criticism yeah. just being a fruit of pretension. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's start with what a, is pretentious. What is pretension and what's wrong with it? Yeah. Ooh. Anybody? Anyone? 
anyone. There's just the two of us here. One of us has to answer. Um, <laughs> I'll accept it. We plate. don't have the studio audience. <laughs> Pretentious as it would be that you think you are better than you are. Yeah, right? right. That's the definition of pretentious. So it's Could almost, somebody be pretentious who thinks they are exactly as good as they are? I'm thinking like some spelling bee champion or something. Somebody wins the world spelling bee and is pretentious. I don't think so because pretentious relates to that aspect of pretending. There's a similar route. Like you can't be as good as you are. If if you're the best in the world and you say you're the best in the world, you I don't know. Do we call that let's, pretentious? Let's move over to track and field where I love to talk about yeah. running and things. If somebody named Sydney uh, is the world's fastest woman in history over 400 meters of hurdles. That just happened, right? Uh, she's been for a while, but yeah. she's very fast. And if she says, I'm the fastest, I'm, I'm better than all y'all, we would still say, ooh, like pretentious much? I don't think so, dude. That's not the definition. Attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, et cetera, than is actually possessed. Okay. So, but I think it's, I think we'd say I think you it's might still be arrogant. I think it's still pretentious because the assumption being because I'm good at this one race, I'm a better or superior human. And they start acting oh, like. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so I think it, it turns into an equivocation of. I see. I am pretentious because I won the spelling bee. And so I think I'm better than you as a human mm. being. Okay. So as soon okay. as somebody thinks that it has promoted them ontologically to a higher status, mm. some excellence, if they just say, hey, I won the spelling bee, you wouldn't say, you pretentious tick. Um, <laughs> it was the Scripps National Spelling Bee and I beat, yeah, I won yeah. So word. if somebody says, I won the spelling bee and that's why I'm the superior human. And if they say okay. that, if they say that with their actions or demeanor or anything, then- mm -hmm then uh, we would still call them pretentious because sure. because the definition of pretension holds true. They're trying to have greater cultural value than they do. Have. Than they do have. So they have one point of excellence uh, than they are uh, bleeding across. Mm -hmm. So what's wrong with pretension? Well, it's false. Yes. Right? It's inaccurate. So it's... Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly right. than you ought to think of yourself. Right. So pretension by definition is a vice. Because it is an inflated uh, presentation of oneself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we know what pretension is and we know it's bad. It's, okay. it's bad to be pretentious. So what is it about people where they take a thing they like and, if, and they kind of equate it with their, their own selves and their own value? And then if you don't like it, they receive that criticism as if it were an attack on their very core, on who they are as a person. <laughs> How does that happen? Especially it happens with books and movies and music, yeah. Yeah. but it really happens with art. Yeah. You know, somebody likes a piece of art. It doesn't happen with food, weirdly. Like if somebody loves Arby's mm -hmm. and somebody else says, Arby's is the, is the pits, then you laugh at them and say, I like my roast beef. You know, we have the meats, whatever. Right. Um, but you don't feel, you know, yeah, like you've do, been personally we're, assaulted. We're actually kind of used to that. There are people who are like, oh, I don't like some strange people. I don't like Indian food. Curry is not for me. And we don't get offended if someone if, does like But curry. if I say something about John Wick and somebody really liked John Wick, they are personally stung. It actually, like their own feelings yeah, are true. hurt in, in a weird way. And I'm not sure exactly why it happens with art because it happens with bands. It happens with... Uh, books it happens with uh, 
film, obviously. And I think there's Isn't probably Isn't it others. kind of pretension the other way? Is that the point you're getting at? A little bit. Like they feel yeah. that that movie is a sign of their own high culture. Their own worth. Their own ability and worth. So, if, then, so if you say, hey, that's gas station nacho, nacho cheese, their own worth is wrapped up in their love of it or in their discernment of it. It's something that they have enough of a dopamine reaction to, enough affection for that it's as if you insulted their sister or their mm. mom. And so I think they they are elevating a, a piece of art to a place it just should not have. Yeah. If somebody tells me that they can't stand the Narnia Chronicles, I will laugh at them. I will feel sorry for them. But I'm not personally, you know, I'm not, I'm not personally hurt. I'm not wounded in any way because I have something I believe to be valuable. And if they don't understand the value and I do understand the value, I don't need to convince them of it. So any more than if I found a gold doubloon and they say that's fake, but I know it's real. Yeah. I don't get rattled or hurt. Yeah. When somebody tells me my gold's fake, if I actually know it's real, it's real. Yeah. Then there's no, there's no rattling, but there's something odd that happens when somebody comes along and somebody has already texted their mom and is saying they struck it rich and they're pumped and they found a bunch of fool's gold. You know? Yeah. And so you saying, hey, that's fool's gold might make them feel like a fool and they turn around and accuse you of being right. pretentious. So I think, I think um, the accusations prove that we are correct completely. This is called gaslighting, <laughs> gaslighting, and we're very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's what my master's is in, but, but I actually, I do think this is the case. I think if somebody, you know, gets on you for being so pretentious or gets stung or hurt or whatever mm-hmm. about something, then they are clearly insecure in that thing. You've exposed an insecurity. There's not, they're not secure there. Uh, pretty sure Peter Jackson would be secure like he wouldn't he would he made those movies and he wouldn't be as stung by us not liking them as fans of the movies are in fact i think he'd probably have reasons for why he did most of the things that i hate yeah bad bad reasons yeah and yeah tolkien would puke he would hate it yeah he would rage if he had twitter he would never stop tweeting about it it would be pretty funny um (laughs) (laughs) i think we also have another reason though is that the movies are now old enough that people their cult classic level people have come of age watching watching lives and and, and enjoying them so now it actually is kind of part of their childhood i've been eating taco bell my whole life they say you're just pretentious right to to say that taco bell is not great yeah cuisine yeah uh you know it, it is really interesting now let's let's pivot over to uh another another part of this Something I've talked about before, and it bears mentioning again, is that if you are going to be a connoisseur, if you're going to be a sophisticated uh, connoisseur of a thing, or you're going to be a creator of a thing, you know, you want to be really astute and alert and, you know, very aware of what you're eating. You want to be really, really, like, really good at, at identifying everything. People will accuse you of being picky. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, yep. correct. Yes, I am. Um, they will all, if you are in pursuit of a sophisticated palate, people will accuse you of pretension because you're trying to rise up above yeah. where everybody else is. And who are you to do that? 
I think this is great because I remember you used to give this talk to freshmen. Yeah. And this is this is one of the the you know little drums I would beat. Yeah. And during freshman year, when all of a sudden all these kids had never they had a brand new slate, a clean slate. Yeah. With everyone they met. Yep. And you told them, hey, you could start wearing elbow patches and smoking a pipe. Yep. And no one would know. That you hadn't been doing that since you were 12. Right. But then you'd say, uh, but your answer, if I remember, was kind of like, hey, it's okay to strive to be better. Yeah. But just don't do the elbow patches plus pipe all at once. Don't fail mm, okay. in, in your striving. <laughs> so, so. so don't look for the little cheap artistic knockoff. Right. Settle for the real thing. Like don't get a sticker of wood grain, yeah. you know, cause you want a dark library. And so you go get stickers and put up dark wood stickers all over your, all uh, over your, all walls, over your, yeah. your little bedroom. You don't, that doesn't mean you now have a dark library. You know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't get you there. So, uh, when people strive to be more excellent along that road, they will fail at times. And, and other people will say, who do you think you are? Why are you trying to be better than us? And you yeah. know, everything else. But they also need to define better correctly and understand what a better 19-year-old looks like. Yeah. And it, you know, it's not smoking a pipe with elbow patches on a blazer. That's not what that looks like. That's what a great mm. Oxford prof looks like. Right. You know, when he's already old and has a turkey neck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a different it's a different kind of ball game. Um, but I would I would say this. If you want to be good at making food like really good at it. If you want to be good at choosing what to consume or what to ingest or what to feed your family or what to feed your own soul and your own imagination, if you want to be discerning as, as a consumer, uh, then you have to develop a sophisticated palate. And the example I've used here and elsewhere is if somebody tells me they like wine. Yeah. And I say, what kind? And if they say any. Or even if they say red, pink, yeah, pink, <laughs> red, yeah, all all the red. I like all the red stuff. It's like all the red stuff. It's like, yep, red in a bottle, red with a screw cap, red with a cork, red in a box, red in a, you in know, those new cans. They're yeah, doing. yeah, red in a can. Uh, what would I know about that person immediately? That they don't know wine. They don't know wine, and they, they have can't. a problem. Yep, they have an alcohol problem. They don't have a palate of any kind. And they'd be the last person you'd ask about which wine is better. Right, exactly. Like, hey, we're having steak tonight. Which wine should we drink with the steak? They wouldn't know. Yeah. Now let's say, and this is how it usually works. Let's say that kid who loves wine is 16 years old or 18 years old or fresh out of college. They come to me and they say, I love wine and I want to be involved in making wine or I want to be a critic. I want to be a wine critic. I want to be really good at this. I want to be really discerning. Yeah. And then they tell me that they like all of it. Or I say, what do you think of this stuff in the box from the dollar store? And they say, it's amazing. Mm. I love it. And I say, that's actually trash. And they say, you're pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, it's, it's that sort of a thing. And I think that, um, just as as a, a starting point before we even jump into the actual films here, know that to have a sophisticated palate is not to be pretentious. Yeah. To be incorrect is to be incorrect. Like we can be wrong. Yeah. 
But to accuse of accuses of pretension is both an ad hominem and bulverism. It's you're saying that because you're pretentious as opposed to yeah. you're incorrect. It's actually quite fancy. Right. And you said it's not fancy and it's actually really fancy. And in fact, there's a really easy, the sophistication test with Lord of the Rings. This is something Christy and I talked about because we read them aloud as a family. Yeah. And afterwards when I watched the film and Christy was saying she grew up watching the movies a lot and, and has that sort of childhood attachment right. to the elf ears, right? Um, but, and she says, you can tell how good the book is compared to the movie. Like yeah. it just feels like a pale imitation yep. almost, which I think is what, isn't that how Tolkien describes the ring wraiths? A pale imitation yep. of life. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and if, you, so that's the first test is like, can you at least tell there are different tastes when you're reading the book? And then I meet plenty of who haven't even read the books. Yeah. Which know? is sad. They don't have any right to opinion right. whatsoever, but. And that's but, when they accuse me of thinking that I don't like movies. Just, just know that if we break it down and say, hey, these are not good, it is not the, it doesn't matter if it's the fruit of pretension or not. What matters is whether or not we're correct. Right. So, and we can be wrong, we can be right, but it comes out of having spent a lot of time both with the Lord of the Rings, but also with film and yeah. criticism. Now, most of the time that I uh, talk to aspiring critics, and I mean, that's just like, dedicated consumers of film who love to talk about it and engage in it. You know, they, they're there. Yeah. They might not be aspiring to be an actual guy writing reviews, but they are, they're here for it. You know, they're, they're going to be up on every hip show. They're going to, they're going to see Oppenheimer. They're going to do all the things. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to have opinions and they love to have opinions and discuss. They, they love the medium. And so they want to engage with the medium and uh, heavily. When I talk to those guys and I talk to a lot of those guys, uh, one of the things that becomes really obvious really quickly is that they consume a lot more than I do, that they don't spit it out. They don't recoil. Uh, mm. and then when they do almost always, it's a movie like fireproof that they recoil against. Okay. Uh, never hot tub time machine, always mm. Christian stuff. Hmm. And this is just, it's just happens with great frequency it's not that everybody does that it's just when young men get into it and they need to be worldly wise and they need to be sophisticated and they need to be hip i see the same thing in professional producers i talk to producers who uh, just tie themselves in knots to not be critical of hmm. of films that have been given the blessing of the zeitgeist and they might know that's really weird though, because like Gordon Ramsay has made his career on like food, right? You made that yeah. analogy of like talking about how bad people's food are that they yep. make. Um, how come? Why is the producer? Is because it that they're, they're dependent piece? on being a cool kid in the industry. They need to be able to raise money. They need to be able to have distribution partners. They might need to work with that person at some day. You know, so some, so some the industry's really worked on just it's, it's Hollywood is uh, is the worst high school in the world. <laughs> and okay you know it's sure that it's, makes sense it's a beverly hills high school and you got to be one of the cool kids you got to be in you or can't you be don't get anything you can't done. be one of the lambos and then you realize that those people who are like yeah i'm one of the i'm one of the you know bad guys i'm i'm breakfast club i'm sitting out on the you know on the steps smoking i'm that guy it's like well that's a click too there's a whole way to get status that way also you know that you know mm. you're, the, you're the bad boy or the rebel girl or whatever so it's it's just a high school powered by cool kid peer pressure of who's in, who's out. 
who has the connections with a lot of money associated tons with of it. money associated yeah, with it okay but, all right all right and so you know it's just the way it is yeah so why do people pull their punches like well so they can go to the next red carpet so they can go to the next cocktail party so they can get that guy in their movie next time so they might work together you know it's so there's no upside to being someone who roasts if you're no. working in movies no i i've had so many conversations with people where an it movie is discussed and various producers will be like oh it was amazing i loved it it was fantastic and then they kind of lower their voice and it's like how much crap was that like it was so terrible well, of course we all watched it and we all loved it it's amazing mm. and you know it's just that mm. that reflex and they love to kind of laugh about it behind people's backs and it is back to that high school behavior of like, Becky, you look adorable. <laughs> she walks by, then they turn to the friends and like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> what is she thinking? You yeah. know, and that's that's how the whole thing works. Yeah. Uh, you were amazing in that, th I saw you in that thing, you were amazing. And then, you know, so, so many times I've had films uh, referenced by insiders to me as that movie we all pretended to watch. <laughs> you know, that's... <laughs> Just over and over and over again. And uh, it's funny. I mean, it's just really, it's so childish. But anyway, all, all this to say, if some young aspiring filmmaker or just a, an aspiring critic or just a lover of the medium does not have any ability to really like nose the wine, nose the glass, identify the flavors and then spit it out and then actually tell you the influences and where it was made and what's architecturally strong about it, like to break down the flavors and the architecture and everything else. If they don't have that ability, then why are they in the conversation when it comes to connoisseur uh, commentary? So admittedly, it's fun to throw bricks into ponds. And I will say I have that instinct. So if I know it's going to rattle cages or whatever. <laughs> no surprise. You know, there's, <laughs> to I listeners think, of I this think, podcast. <laughs> I think all of us know that if you see like a glassy pond and there's a brick at your feet. Yeah, you, you, you know, cannot resist. I think God wants you to. <laughs> I, it starts at a very young age. Yeah. God. It's like you need, to, you need to throw it in there. So when it, But when it comes to Lord of the Rings, the movies judged as movies cannot be judged apart from the blueprint they had to work with, which was the book, the, the underlying IP. So you have the books. So I can't watch the movies as movies de novo. They are movies uh, from adaptation. Mm -hmm. So these are movies adapting things. Now, yeah. why isn't there a Tom Bombadil? Like, okay, I can get that. Like, that makes sense. You know, I cut for time, whatever, you know, all those kinds of things. Why do you completely destroy the meaning of the breach of the gates of Minas Tirith? Why do you cheapen Helm's Deep? Why do you make Legolas Tony Hawk? You know, why all of these things? Why are why? the cave trolls giant CG? Yeah. Um, why is it trash? Why does the Balrog look like something from Diablo? You know? Yeah. Like uh, those kind of taste questions. Why does it all look like somebody shot it through with Vaseline on the lens? Why... Yeah. Why? And I will admit, I, I have to say I like Tobitin, that little greasy sort of like, uh, I, I see, I, I have to be honest here. I can't yeah, just it's, sit it's here. It's okay. Honesty is fine. <laughs> I thought Hobbiton was awesome. <laughs> so the thing is that when you eat Doritos and they are Doritos and they're identified as Doritos, 
And you say, you know what I need is I need some Doritos right now. There's no problem with going and purchasing some from the gas station and getting your sodium levels jacked. Yeah. You know, like, okay, like that's fine. We need sodium for our bodies. Yeah. I actually, before back surgery, they wouldn't let me go in because my sodium was too low. And the guy actually said, just go eat a bag of Doritos and come back. Oh, wow. I was like, okay, I did it for my health. Um, (laughs) But the, uh, with, with Lord of the Rings, you cannot divorce them from the books because the books were the thing that Peter Jackson purchased and said he wanted to make. And so okay. changing Faramir is a modification from the blueprint that got from the architect, which is inferior to the actual blueprint, making the Oliphants so big they could just stomp Minas Tirith like a sandcastle right. was a mistake. That is a mistake of art. Right. And the worst condemnation is you knew better. So if you had just made it up from nothing, I sure. could say, you know what? If you made those smaller, this would be, this would be more stressful. Yeah. You could have more stress and more back and forth. Sure. So, if- you know, the ring wraith and Gandalf meeting in the gate, that could be such a big scene and you wrecked it. Legolas shouldn't be surfing down an Oliphant on a shield. The cheap horror uh yeah. passes the dead guys you know yep. swarming all over the giant oliphants yeah. you know that kind of thing so yeah so there's yeah. a lot of cheap msg yeah. there's a lot of things yep. just thrown in there and so i can look at them and say it would be a better film if you had not done this like it would it would be better how and even worse is you knew better because you had the because you bought these blueprints you have these blueprints to work off of and this isn't an issue at all of pretension because I love the, you know, the old animated Hobbit. Yeah. You know. Great film. That's a yeah. great little movie. And so if I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> because somebody said, hey, I have an idea. Let's boil it down to, you know, this 2D clunky thing and try to capture the aroma of it at a very childish level. Yeah. You know, for little kids. Okay. That's an experiment that. Or it, even, even Ralph. Ralph Bakshi's rotoscoped, you know, cartoon versions are pretty bad, but yeah. still get some of the flavor. Yeah, uh, of of the original. Yeah, there's so- the songs and yeah, you know, there's there's lots of pieces there that I can say measured off of its own aspiration, mm-hmm. off its own stated and, and revealed aspiration. It yeah, it kind of came through. No, there's a great scene I saw where some actor tripped on his sword, his sheath while running in the Bakshi, and they just animated it all the way through. He's in the final movie, you know, just like running along, like, there tripping you go. on his sword. We had one shot, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, so there we go. But it's, so you take that stuff and you say, okay, there we go. Aspirations were low. You know, they, they set a bar. They said, this is what we're going to try to achieve. And mm-hmm. then they achieved it. Yeah. And if you show up and somebody says, hey, you want a slice of cheesecake? And you order the cheesecake and then they bring it to you. You don't get to then say, I hate cheesecake. You know, mm. but cheesecake's terrible. So you ordered the cheesecake. They said it was cheesecake. You ordered the cheesecake. Suck it up. Don't criticize it for being what it is. And that's how I feel about the old animation. Hobbit. The old Hobbit. Yeah. yeah. The, old, the old Hobbit. Uh, with Peter Jackson, yeah, he made a ton of money. And he's not, he's not an untalented guy. I'm not... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to attack him as a person, he very, very successfully gauged the commercial viability of what he's trying to do. And then he milked that cow till it died. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he just... And we're about due for round two, three, <laughs> I guess now with the, the new versions. Yeah. The and, new my, and my goal was, I think I said this on the podcast before, my goal 
personally, my prayer, I should say, as opposed to goal, because it had nothing to do with my own abilities. As I was walking into Fellowship of the Ring when it was opening night in theaters, I was sitting there thinking, I really, really hope this is either amazing and becomes my favorite movie, or that it's terrible and someday I can make it again. Mm. Like that's, and then it was neither. Yeah. And it was kind of like- Did you hear eh. that, people? I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, was, I, I think that's a pretty fair it take. Was neither it's not of those pretentious. It, wasn't, it doesn't get to be my favorite movie because it sucks. And it doesn't suck so much that I'll be able to remake it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially not me. But yeah. But it's just, yeah. you know, it'd be really difficult to say this deserves a new, yeah. you know, a completely new rendering. Because the marketplace was hit, the, the bullseye uh, maybe wasn't hit perfectly, but it hit uh, commercially. It hit so yeah. thoroughly that redoing it would cause a different outrage from a different fan base and be a, a whole difficult struggle. So the fact that they made bad mistakes and they made bad mistakes of not understanding how stress works, duress works, uh, suspension of disbelief works, all those kinds of things, they made mistakes throughout the film as filmmakers. That's one problem. Problem number two is uh, they knew better because they bought the books. The books had Faramir doing something different. <laughs> and they had Faramir doing something different for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, the Legolas Gimli dynamic at Hel Helm's Deep and, and mm. all these different pieces and the Ents and everything else and Saruman. Yeah. You know, all, all that yeah. garbage. You know, they right. had blueprints. It's fantastic meme material now, but only because it's... If they had followed the blueprints, yeah. would it not be a better film? Yeah. And the answer is yes, it would have been yeah. a better film. And that's fine. It's not a, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to think that. The thing that they should have stuck closer to the books. It's not going to be a book. It is not a book. Yeah. So I'm not sitting here saying it needed more adjectives. Right. And you're also not... What I've also heard too is some people do say, hey, it wasn't like the book. And then they run through a bunch of like very specific things they wanted to particularly see in the movie. That's not what we're talking about either. Right. Um, I'm talking about removing bearing walls. So if you modify plans from an architect and you say, hey, we're going to pull out this wall. Great. It's a partition wall. It doesn't affect anything. You want a bigger, more open floor plan. Fine. That's yeah. Tom Bombadil. But if you want to change Faramir. Well, I don't know. Well, I feel... <laughs> I, I, there's a case to be made. Okay, sure. I would. Sure. I personally would try to find any way to include the Barrow Downs and Tom Bombadil. Right. Okay. But, fair. Fair. But but you can mean, at least understand the argument for cutting Tom. Yeah. I also would say at the beginning, I had some conversations with some guys uh, in the industry, and you know when I early, early in in my my first LA ventures about it all, and and some other conversations prior to even watching uh, the first film where my hope was, I, I was saying, I really wish that he would just do three films for Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, wow. And and just actually fully explore the world of the book. And, mm. and then he ended up doing that with The Hobbit, where- Yeah, miss. There's just like, it doesn't exist there. Yeah. And so it's not that I think that he is too long-winded or, or anything like that. I think there's a ton of material in the book, and I think trying to keep as much of it as possible would have been wise. Yeah. But there's a shiny sentimentality to it, yeah. Uh, no, okay. Mixed mixed with uh, a willingness to throw away architecturally essential pieces of the narrative, yeah. 
So I think a misunderstanding of those key motivations for those mm-hmm. characters that you hung your hopes on in the book yeah. is, is the sin that you can't get away with. Yep. So <laughs> anyway, it's they're not the worst movies ever made by any stretch. Yeah. It's just they are the worst me- movies ever made next to a blueprint of that quality. Mm. Because they are some of the best fiction in the modern English world, to work off of that and end up with this is a bigger crime. If they'd been, like I said, de novo, it's like, well, they're better than Willow. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? I like Willow. I think Willow's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's better than Willow, but Willow isn't working off of right. Tolkien's architecture. So it's kind of a bizarre, you know, if we totally separated it from the books, yeah, that question doesn't really work. And and add a lot of add some of the cast potential. You know, take Blanchett and you know, take mm-hmm. you know Gandalf, Gandalf is perfectly so cast. good. Yeah. You know, it's perfectly cast and perfectly performed. Gollum did fantastic. Gollum's great. You have all these yeah. different pieces, yeah. and yet the whole thing kind of lurches. Sam, fantastic, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yep. Um it, it lurches a little bit. So it's not and I think to say that Tolkien would vomit is absolutely fair. He would vomit because the plot changes, the architecture changes, the cultural missteps, uh, and I mean, probably above all, the sentimentality. Yeah. You know, I think that probably would catch him the most, the Victorian sentimentality of it. Yeah, the missing kingliness, royalty completely misses. It it was very clear that it was made by an American who's never seen royalty and does not understand it. But at the same same time, this is... um, it's it's not to say that they are the worst movies ever made or it's bad to watch them. Yeah. And it's even okay to watch them and like them, but it's not okay to watch them and have your brain turned off and be unaware. Yeah. You know, you need to be aware that you are going to McDonald's. Like, yeah. okay. And will I ever go to McDonald's? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. You know, it's like I'm not, you know, I'm not too snobby. If I'm if I'm hungry enough, I'll hit a double quarter bounder, no question. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's just don't put the shine on it like it's some amazing yeah you know, some amazing thing i'm trying i'm trying to think what would be most helpful like where are those single moments where you can see the grease on the screen or you know just that you know peter jackson as a horror director has yeah. horror telling tendencies and you can see that regularly throughout the movies yep um it's I'm tr- not always bad but yeah and i'm trying to think too like just examples even down to the wargs, like the large hyenas, yeah, you know, rather than making them wolves. I don't know, just even down to that level of trying to make something so scary in a different universe, to me, just feels like it's out of place. Like something's disjointed. I think I, this is actually the, the bigger thing is that if you're changing something on Tolkien, you better have a really, really good reason. Yes, yeah. You're trying to tell his world. You're trying to represent his architecture, his narrative, the whole thing. For you to say, hey, I'm going to switch this. Yep. Why? Right. Like, what what massive benefit are you gaining from a right. change in Faramir? What? What? Or Marion Pippin manipulating Treebeard to go back yep. and fight. You know, just little tweaks like that where you cheapen. We need the Hobbits to have more agency, yes. says somebody in a committee meeting. And you can tell exactly that's how that yeah. it went. They're like, yep. oh, we need to them. Faramir needs an arc. Why does Faramir not have an arc? It's like, oh no, he does have one with this whole father hunger dad situation. He doesn't need to be Boromir part duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we gotta drag 
Yeah, he's stealing Frodo back to Osgiliath and then lets, I don't know. Just I actually, I think that's probably the biggest unforgivable sin of all of the sins. I think Faramir is, oh, man, I have a hard time for, my wife was always like, why do you like Faramir so much? And then- In the we, books? No, no, no. In in the movie, you know, before we went back and reread and then she was like, oh, I get it. You know? Right. Um, Your wife eventually learned wisdom. Well, Faramir's Christy, just about shout the out best. to you. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be so mad. <laughs> Christy. Christy, uh, how could you not understand? I think those, uh, I think, you know, uh, the Urukai and trying to find the halflings and some of those battle scenes, the 13 year old, when I watched those, man, those were great. When you're 13, you could watch somebody else play a video game. You know, it's. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, there's yeah, not, there's, it's not a sophisticated palette. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's fine. And I think the New Zealand, uh, where they shot. Oh yeah. That's the lesson, you know, the yep. lesson you've given is shoot with billion a, dollar sets. a billion dollar set. Yeah. And, and it's. I, I also would say this this is just to parents who already watch it or parents who do like the films. Um, it's really important that you be able to watch a movie like this with your kids and then have them pick at it. Don't yeah. you don't you then afterwards tell them everything that's wrong about it? Read the books together. If you've read them the trilogy out loud, which you should have done, and and my level of commitment uh, included going absolutely hoarse early in my marriage when I discovered that my wife had not read Lord of the Rings. She'd read The Hobbit, but never The Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> I skipped, I just straight up skipped class for like a week in grad school. And I, I know I got out and made some that I had to make, but I got out of a bunch of classes and just read the trilogy aloud mm. all day. It was like all day, every day, this is what we're doing. We're just reading Lord of the Rings. And it was <laughs> awesome. We had a blast. It was really, really fun. Yeah. We just kind of like, shut ourselves in our apartment in Annapolis, Maryland, and, mm -hmm. and just read Lord of the Rings. And then at the end, she was like, adores it. So read your kids the, the trilogy aloud. Do it aloud, dad. Like belly up to the bar and do it. It's hard. Oh, yeah. I, it's a difficult thing to read aloud. You're yep. not sitting there being, people aren't sitting there having a great time easy time reading it aloud to little kids no like and so work. find the right age yeah you know find the right age read it aloud make sure it comes with ice cream yeah uh, I, I recommend cones uh not necessarily spoons and bowls like it's really loud mm -hmm. uh, or plastic <laughs> bowls is is a little better but uh bowls of ice cream and lord of the rings is a great way to go it's like this is the great, Occas great yeah occasionally we do like hey this is a picture book section yeah. Like, so the kids are flipping picture books because this section is actually kind of a little dull, like the scenery sure. sections. But then there'd be other times where I'm like, no, you absolutely must listen. You're paying attention. Yeah, you are listening to this. But scene. <laughs> make sure make sure that they get the Lord of the Rings when they're old enough to get it. Yeah. Before you watch it, don't show yeah. it to anybody before they've read it. Just yeah. don't. Don't, oh. don't filter the imagination that direction. Filter the imagination from book to film, not film to book. Ooh, here's the other thing. I think... The fact that they don't have the cleansing of the Shire, yes, is up there for yep. showing they did not get the point. Yeah, like the idea that you go on this journey, come home, and fix where you are, and fix your own place in the world. And the fact he cut it off, you just like <laughs> to me, you just want to shout, like, did you read it? Um, or reading to and actually, you know what? I think it is, I think it's the sentimentality there. Why didn't they cleanse the Shire? Because they would have had to ruin all that. They would have cute. had to cut the trees down. Yeah. It would actually, they would have to come back and that cute, adorable little Thomas Kincaid, 
village. Which I liked, I admit. <laughs> which would be in ash and have a smokestack and the, the old yep. trees would be cut down. Yep. And you'd that feel would some have of been, Tolkien's anger against yep. the Industrial Revolution. And so yeah. then you'd have to come back and cleanse that and have the patience to plant. Like Sam has to have the patience. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to come and be ready to be the yeah. one to plant the trees. It'll be 500 years yeah. old someday. And that wisdom that, that Tolkien has there is thrown away because we need that sentimentality. We can't have that, yeah. you know, we can't have that thing ruined. It's kind of like in Children of Men where, and that maybe you could make this case, where um, Clive Owen, Theo's son, dies of the flu. Mm -hmm. And so... He actually had a kid. He was one of the the rare couples that had a, a a kid in the last wave of fertility in the world 18 years ago. But in the book, he ran over his own kid. And in the uh, film, uh -oh. the kid died of a virus that just came through. Yeah. You know, and it's because there's just a there's so much to process. Yeah. The frame in there. that. And it makes sense of why the marriage dissolved and why there's all this guilt and all this other stuff. Now, is that I think that change, like I understand the change for the the film. They don't have time to do to the fully of the Shire. Yep. They, to fully cleanse Clive Owen and Children of Men. In the film, Cleansing of the Shire, they got to do it. Yeah, I think they got to do it, but I don't think they had the nerve to come back to the happy, glowing place and have it been touched by the darkness as well, and need the hobbits to you know. Hobbit up. Speaking to of man agency up. for the hobbits. Yeah, to man up <laughs> and, and get it done and then realize why you had this soil and this seed, why you've been given what you've been given on this whole journey that you can come restore yeah. this place. Or watching, maybe it's just watching hobbits fight each other and Pippin and Mary end up killing some some hobbits. You know? They do. And, and they deserve not it. orcs, not just yucky orcs that are yep. obviously bad. But all, all I can say is the sentimentality would not have survived. That yeah. Of the yep, cleansing of the shower. Which is uh, great. But it shows you how unsentimental Tolkien is. Yeah. You know, that that's how it ended. You had to come back and cleanse the Shire. And any anyway, make sure whoever is going to watch this has read the books first. If you've watched it already a bunch of times and you haven't ever read the books, remedy that immediately. Uh, one of the great ways to do this is audiobooks too. You don't have to read it aloud. You, every time you aren't driving, yep. you can be chipping it away. The first time there's a BBC drama, there's a BBC radio drama of it mm. that is not the full audiobook. It's really fun. Now, I I loved the books, had read the books, had had the books read to me, and then we were driving to Nebraska and my dad had purchased this big set and I was just riveted the whole way. I remember just having my face on the window just watching the world go by listening to this this BBC radio production which is fantastic. And it's shorter than the unabridged audiobook. But all these versions are great. So if I'm all in favor of this BBC radio drama, which was condensed and abridged, you know, it's like, and it has things that could have been better about it performance-wise or other things, but it's a great mode of consumption. The audiobooks, various, Andy Serkis has a, a really good uh, version that he narrates. And I've had David Radford of the Grey Havens actually text me. He said, I think this is the single greatest way to consume Lord of the Rings. <laughs> is listening to that version of yeah. the audiobook. Um, read it, read it yeah. yourself. Get it, read it and in a cool edition that's got an old aroma to the page. Yeah. Like it actually, like the artifact itself. I had, I had this great set that had such patina on the page, mm. and kind it's of not a book for paperback. No, 
I, I, it I depends mean, unless you have a really old one. Yeah. If you have a really old paperback that, that smells like, you know, your uncle's library where he smoked a lot, that could be, that could don't be get the paperback. ones with the movie cover on it. Though. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, uh, any, anyway, all this, all this to say, we didn't even touch on how gaspy Frodo is. We, uh, didn't, we didn't touch on other things that, oh, Eowyn, we didn't, you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> Eowyn, I also really like Eowyn's character in the books. Uh, and Faramir is ruined for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, consume the stories. And then then by, don't be scared to watch the movies if you actually are very familiar with the headwaters. Yeah. If you're familiar with the books, don't be scared to show your kids the movies if they know the if they know the stories. But have have conversations with them afterward and ask them what was different. Like what was different? And was it better? Was it worse? Uh, could it have been improved? You know, how would you have improved it? How would you change it? And I think one of the most important things is for consumers who have their brains on is to always think like creators. Always think with the authority of a creator. When you watch a film, any film, be thinking that you could change it, mm-hmm. uh, that you you could have a uh, you could have adjusted this or that, the other thing, and improved it. Yeah. Don't, you know. That's great. Uh your comment about Reminded that Tolkien would have was mentioned that he was made physically ill by some of Disney. I yeah. just saw their remake in that Snow White, and I heard the actress, uh, the live action actress, talking about how they're changing up Snow White's motivations so that she no longer is waiting for true love. Perfect. But instead, she's waiting to see, or she wants to become the best version of herself that she can be. And I thought, wow, can you imagine mm. trying to tell a fairy tale to a bunch of families where the princess does not want the prince (laughs) well that right there (laughs) the the cycle is hilarious because the in that particular arc she's going to try to be the best version of herself that she possibly can be and does she achieve that in marriage does she like like, does she does she succeed because i'm fine with that yeah like if that's if that's what you're doing and then the actual like resolution is like ta-da actually But, Anyways, they're still know, doing it. They're still missing the easiest stories. So yeah, there's no way they could handle the big one. The the big complex ones. Yeah. But it is don't don't get all sensitive when people don't like, you know, don't like what you like. I love that hideous strength. It's one of my favorite books. I have said I think it's the best novel written in the English language. If people don't like it, I might think less of them. You you know, <laughs> if I'm that if I'm that wrong about Lord of the Rings, the movies feel free to think less of me, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, but having your feelings hurt by it or getting in your feels or, you know, having a little bit of dudgeon, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird thing. So if somebody doesn't love what I love, s- sometimes that gets to a level where it really matters, you know, truth, goodness, beauty, God's creation, that kind of thing. But most of the time, if we're talking about human, human art, human creation, you know, if I really like Rembrandt and somebody else doesn't like Rembrandt, yeah, I could say, well, as long as you acknowledge his technical skill, you don't have to want him on the wall. You know, it's pretty moody stuff. So, sure, I understand why you yeah. might not work in your dining room. Yeah. Um. Anyway, well, that's been your stories or soul food excursus on pretension on, on PJ's Lord of the Rings and pretension. Uh, just turn your brain on and don't be sensitive as you start to unpack things. And of course, as always, we are right. (laughs) Yeah, let's put a bow on it.
There were no errors in the previous podcast of any kind. <laughs> I think I got episode one twenty three is one hundred percent perfect and has been vouch- vouchsafed, <laughs> verified by the robots, by your robot by overlords. Uh, yeah, AI has approved this podcast as entirely accurate. Uh, this has been one twenty three. Peace out. I'm here to tell you about a brand new kids show now streaming on Canon Plus. It's called Creature Kids, and it's a children's draw-along art show. What is a draw-along art show, you ask? It is a show that shows you step-by-step how to draw very cool creatures. So for example, on this one, you get to figure out how to draw caterpillars, lions, Great Danes, unicorns, Sasquatches, the Cranky Danky Dragon himself, and many other exciting things. My kids, ages three to 10, are currently papering our entire house with drawings from Creature Kids, which features the effervescent Justin Hatcher. So check it out now. I'm going to include the trailer so you can watch that right after I stop talking, or if you're on audio, you can listen to it and imagine how fun and bright and colorful and summery the art is. Starting now. Welcome to Creature Kids. I'm Justin, and this is my new show, Creature Kids, where I draw the coolest creatures step by step, creating artwork that will cover your fridge. We'll cover it all from rhinos, butterflies, and rattlesnakes, to chameleons, unicorns, and the mighty T-Rex. With guest appearances from Forrest Dickinson, illustrator of Hello Ninja, and Sir Battleot and his cranky danky dragon. As well as Jessica Lynn Evans, creator of Penguin Set Sail. Plus, you'll get to meet my friends Cameron the Chameleon, Molly the Dog, and Fitzpatrick the Bearded Dragon. Watch it now on. Where is this? YouTube or TikTok or. Oh, right. Canon Plus. Thanks so much for drawing with me today. How do you guys think we did? Let's see how Molly thinks we did. Molly, Molly, how we do? We do good? Oh.